Welcome to the Journey to Paid Speaking Gigs podcast, where we focus on how to find your voice, develop your message, so that you can get consistently paid speaking gigs that generate income. Not only are you going to learn how to find your voice, but you're going to hear from professionals in the industry who are making a powerful impact, sharing their story, and transforming lives. My name is Charles Clark. I'm an international speaker and ex-professional athlete, and I believe that everyone has a story to tell, but not too many people are telling it. And that's why I created this podcast, because I'm passionate about helping people break the silence, even if their voice shakes. And today's guest is going to give you the insight on how you can do just that. But before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to share with my tribe, those of you who've been looking to find your voice, develop your message, and get consistently paid speaking gigs, I'm putting on a free training that's going to share with you how to land paid speaking gigs. I want you to sign up for this free training at thecharlesclark.com forward slash training. And in this training, here's what you're going to learn. You're going to learn how to secure consistently booked gigs using my speaker pipeline framework, the six core strategies to build a successful speaking career, how to establish a voice of influence, and how I went from speaking for free to making six figures without hiring a speakers bureau or agency. Head to thecharlesclark.com forward slash training to get this free training on how to land paid speaking gigs. All right, let's get back to the show. Ashley, uh, welcome to the show. Hello, friends. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, before we get this thing started, I just want you to let the Thrive Tribe know who is Ashley Rose Quarter. Well, I am Ashley Rose Quarter. I am a licensed clinical social worker in Florida. But my start and the reason I was kind of inspired to become a social worker and a helper is um, I grew up in foster care. So I spent almost 10 years in foster care, had 14 different foster placements. Many of them were incredibly abusive, but my adverse childhood experiences are really what inspired me to speak out. And from a really young age, I noticed that the world around me, I was like, mm, something's wrong here. Like this doesn't feel right. It's, you know, being abused as a kid and, yeah. and being a survivor of any kind is really challenging. And so I think from a really young age, I don't know if it's a redhead thing or what, but I was like, okay, no, 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 some change needs to happen here. Mm. And so I went on to become a social worker and a foster parent myself. And now I'm a mom raising three kiddos, one of whom is adopted from the foster care system. So I'm a really big fan of practicing what you preach yeah. and ensuring that lived experiences and voices of marginalized populations are elevated because mm. storytelling, as you share with your audiences, is one of the most powerful vehicles for change. Yeah, yeah, that that is an amazing intro right there. First of all, uh, when, did, <laughs> when did you get the courage to use that voice like you know n not even talking about speaking I'm, t I'm talking about the courage to know what's right and wrong and what you should believe in i think some of the courage to speak out came from necessity i was living in when i was about seven years old i was living in a foster home that had 16 kids sharing two bedrooms in a trailer and we were beaten starved locked outside forced to swallow hot sauce like we get kind of weird down here in the south so <laughs> i mean it was i mean when you hear all those florida man stories i mean they're not wrong wow you said so, how many kids you said 
16. 16 in a trailer. 16. Yeah. And, you know, I would go to school and I would tell, and I had a younger brother in the home mm -hmm. as well. I would go to school and I would tell my teachers and my counselors and pretty much any adult that would listen to me, I would tell them what was going on in this home. And eventually I was able to spark investigations because educators, mental health professionals, social workers, healthcare providers, they're mandated reporters. So yeah. they were able to spark investigations. But unfortunately, so many of the other kids were so terrified mm. to admit what was really happening. So I was branded a liar and a troublemaker and removed from that home. But the state had allowed them to adopt eight of the kids that were in that home. And so I couldn't be silent. I had to say something for yeah. my brother, for myself. It, it, it really felt like a matter of life or death. So that's kind of how I started speaking. Mm -hmm. And then I, I very quickly realized that there were so many people, um, more than 500,000 kids at any given time in the foster care system, but more so kids that come from poverty and that vicious cycle of abuse and neglect, lack of access to education, yeah. Um, they yeah. experience racism and, you know, all of these systemic issues that create so many barriers for people who are so deserving to have a chance at prosperity and happiness and safety and love and compassion. So I think that's really where my advocacy began out of necessity for um, surviving foster care. Wow. Wow. And so that allowed you to see that your voice mattered. When, it did. Yeah. It, it, so what was that journey like for you to say, wait, wait a minute, this is not just a voice that I need to keep for myself, but I actually need to use this voice on the stage. I, I need to change lives with my voice. Well, the crazy thing is, so I was I was a kid when I was in that foster home. Many fast forward many years because I know we got a whole lot of story to pack into a little yeah. amount of time. <laughs> so moving ahead, I was eventually adopted, and so when I was a teenager, I'm sitting in the living room with my adoptive parents, and we're watching mm. the news, and up on the screen pop two mug shots. Who were they? Oh, so glad you asked. They happened to be the mugshots of those former foster parents. Wow. They, they had been arrested on over 42 counts of felony child abuse with torture. Wow. And so wow. finally, there was evidence that somebody was listening to the kids. Somebody finally believed what they were saying. Mm -hmm. And so I used this as a chance to share my story and share the deepest, darkest, most intimate parts of my trauma and abuse yeah. because I knew I had to back up what these other kids were saying. Not all kids are lucky enough to get adoptive homes, particularly um, I was adopted when I was 12 and by foster care standards, that's like over the hill. It's very, very difficult for older kids to find families and permanency. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of when I, I started sharing my story on a larger scale. I was a part of a series of class action lawsuits in the state of Florida that helped change legislation and policy and practice. And I was like, wow, like maybe because of what I went through, I can prevent that from happening to other kids. And when I was 14, I gave my very first keynote speech. Like I didn't even know this was like a thing. Right. And, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, 
oh, there's, oh, okay. Um, but when I was 14, I was asked to share my story for an organization called CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocates. And it was their national convention. As it turns out, there is a conference or convention for everything from advocacy groups to nonprofits to chicken wings. I mean, as a keynote speaker now, I've been leaving conferences that are like education, mental health, women, you know, my my wheelhouse. But it'll be like the the international ice cream scooper convention coming in. And I'll be like, dang, why wasn't I asked to speak for that one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So really, there there is an audience for every message and every passion. And mine just started again from having this need to get out of really unfortunate situations to ultimately using my experiences to advocate and empower others. Yeah, I think you said something that is so vital for uh, the tribe to understand is your voice matters. And there's something that you talk about that people want to hear, you know, and just because I'm a, a world-class athlete, not everybody cares about that, right? <laughs> not everybody wants to know about mindset, but there's people who wants to know about fostering kids and people who want to know, like, how can they take the next steps towards some type of healing and restoration? There's an audience for you, Tribe. So I just want you to know that. Ashley, can you kind of like, tell me the story that you most likely share when, you, when you're on the stage. Tell me that story. Well, I've had to be really careful <laughs> with how I share things now. So there's one story that I talk about, about, you know, dispelling myths and preconceived notions, but it's rooted in something that happened in my case files as a little kid. And it's this whole story about me, like, shooting the bird and people misinterpreting what that meant. It was really me as like a little kid um, learning to give the middle finger. And so I used to like, you know, flip off the audience, but it was in a, it was in context, <laughs> right? But yeah, now yeah. everything is recorded and photographed. So I had to switch that up. So I'm not like all over the internet, just, you know, flipping, <laughs> flipping people off. Flipping yeah. people all the time. But I think what's what's unique about my style is that even though my experiences are rooted in pretty heavy topics, um, comedy and levity is such an important coping mechanism for me personally. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to utilize kind of that, um, the, the more comedic elements of crazy because sometimes when you're dealing with these issues if you can't laugh about it or find those sparks of joy and happiness it it can be so consuming and so crushing and i love what you said about there really being an audience for every message but there's also a lot of themes that can be across different demographics you know themes of resiliency mm -hmm. overcoming um trying your best overcoming fears a lot of those uh, a lot of speakers have built entire platforms uh, from either personal lived experience which is very very powerful or you know just one event in their life that yeah. gave them a different perspective yeah. i've seen speakers who suddenly were you know accountants but then they had a child who is on the autism spectrum mm -hmm. and suddenly they are now you know big advocates and speakers in that space so never minimize you don't have to have survived foster care to have a message you don't have to have come out of the other end of a car accident or you know some of these really compelling stories are amazing and mm -hmm. and and can be really transformative but yeah. 
your passion and your energy and your intention will come through despite what your circumstances are. So if this really is a calling and you genuinely have a passion to connect with audiences and your driving motivation is to make a difference and your intentions are pure, this can be a tremendous outlet for change and be so rewarding for you as well. Yeah, yes, that's so true. And ah, it's such a, a great feeling when you're doing it with the right intention, right? I always tell people the money will come when you when you lead with impact, when you lead with reason. There, there's so much value in doing that. And so I want to ask you, what's what's the reason why for you you know what's that big why that you decide to show up on that stage and you give those topics that and and you become selfless because when we're speaking on the stage it's about us being second to put other people first so that they can get on that journey of some type of win um at least that's what you know what i believe what what do you feel is that 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 why for what you do the why for what I do is really rooted in community service and the types of audiences I speak to and that really just give me the goosebumps are the helpers and the people who are educators and survivors and those Um, companies and corporations that have a philanthropic component to the work that they do. So a lot of my messaging and and advocacy is rooted in giving back and bolstering families and communities and creating that visibility piece that is so important for helping people to check their biases and their preconceived notions and just putting yourself out there can be so vulnerable. And ironically, personally, I'm quite introverted. Like when I'm in car line dropping my kids off at school, I'm like, oh, I hope nobody notices me. You know, (laughs) when I attend conferences, I'm going to be totally honest. Like I'm in the back row taking notes, you know, like I, this doesn't come naturally to to me, believe it or not. And so I really do it because there is little more powerful than someone coming up to you after a presentation with their resignation letter in hand saying, I'm done with this. I'm moving wow. like whatever it is. And they tear it up. Like I've had someone tear it up. And it, mm. I mean, ugh, these are people that we are influencing that have the power and potential to then go back into their communities yeah. and maybe save someone's life. Wow. And that's massive. That, that That's extraordinary. And I'm, I'm curious to know, like, what's the little step that people can take to, to lead that way? And, and and whatever it is that they're doing, well, let, let, let's kind of frame it for what you do. What's that little step that people can take to to lead that change to to be that leader? If you have a passion for something and you've done that sort of personal inventory to think about what motivates you, what drives you, what inspires you to make change within your community, and that could be a multitude of things. So once you find that passion, start looking for organizations that are doing that work. There is so much space for advocacy. If you have a calling to become a speaker, look for resources like the one you're enjoying right now. And a lot of speakers like you, if you go to the Charles Clark slash training, there are speakers like you who do trainings and seminars and help 
um, people create their message. Um, maybe you are interested in publishing a book or writing. I think writing is a wonderfully therapeutic tool and what led me to publishing the books that I have. Yeah. And so yeah. there are, you know, just like you, you tell everyone, find that tribe. Your vibe attracts your tribe. Mm -hmm. And there are people that are out there that want to help you spread your messaging. So look for ways to engage your community, either on a volunteer basis, if you want to make that direct impact, if you're looking at that more macro scale and you want to make larger impact, get involved in your local and international politics. Part of what I'm doing today is some lobbying and sharing. Like you can be a storyteller and there is such value in that on so many scales. Yeah. So I share my story on stages at conventions and conferences, but also schools, but also testimony to congressional leaders and policymakers. So depending on what you're interested in doing, there is a stage and a way for you to get out there and make a difference on every level. And one such starting place is to come to one of your trainings. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. You know, I, I think you said something so powerful that people need to, to realize and, and that is your your greatest strength is going to be in community with people, right? You you said something with every everything, every resource that you almost threw out there had to do with the community, right? So I think it's so important for us to learn to not do life alone, right? Really. No, no matter what it is that you're facing, we can go so much further when we do it together. Well, and it's hard, you know, if you are a survivor and a fighter, you're used to navigating this world, or maybe you are a single parent, maybe you are a teacher, you know, people who are those real go-getters, sometimes asking for help or, or utilizing self-care, those are some of the most challenging things for us, but look for that help, ask for that advice, mm. go to people that are going to enhance your life in positive ways, and and not be afraid to stay curious and learn and reach out to those who are having similar experiences but i think it's amazing like the offerings that you have that's that's your that's your ticket in that's your way to get started everybody starts somewhere yeah. much of my speaking career has just been you know local rotary clubs or going to a high school connecting with um nonprofit organizations in the community that are serving populations that are special to you they all need speakers for their fundraisers but yeah. even something like being an advocate online and making videos creating podcasts like all of this stuff is so imperative to right. to that holistic picture of getting messages out there that will ultimately change society yeah i, I think you got to understand tribe like your voice matters right now you don't have to wait for a validation piece. You don't have to wait until you got it all figured out because nobody has it all figured out. But you True. use your voice <laughs> now, right? <laughs> you you take that step and you 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 join a community. You you get a part of, of something that can help you and improve. Uh, actually, I want to ask you another question here. So you you have an international best-selling book, three little words. Uh, when did you realize that? Like, hey, this is going to be something special. This is something big right here. Or, or did you ever like kind of envision that for for your career? 
I, I definitely never anticipated anything like the world that I live in now. My book actually started as an essay contest that was written um, when I was a teenager. So my first book was, it's called Three Little Words, and it chronicles my experiences growing up in the foster care system. And going to college, school was always a huge sanctuary for me. And so going to college was a major dream of mine. But I had been adopted so late that I didn't have a college fund set aside for me. So I started writing essay contests and looking for scholarships. And I did an essay contest for the New York Times magazine. And they asked you to write about a day that was really life changing. So I wrote an essay called Three Little Words about my adoption day and how it it really wasn't this rainbows and sunshine kind of occasion. It was terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I wrote this essay and happened to win first place Wow. (laughs) (laughs) But um, from that, the essay was published, and then publishers contacted me interested in hearing my full story. Mm. So you have no idea who is going to see you, who is going to hear you, who is going to read you, and who is going to be so touched by the work that you do that suddenly there are opportunities in front of you that that were never possible before. But I think that's one of the things that's really helped me maintain a lot of my sanity mm-hmm. and, and not have that sense of just crushing disappointment is that, you know, by, by my day-to-day, I'm a social worker. Mm-hmm. And so all of the stuff that I get to do and the speaking and the writing, like that's just that's just icing on the cake. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm the type of person that has a ton of plates spinning all at the same time, even though I've been really, really lucky uh, pre-COVID yeah. <laughs> to have speaking be my full-time career. Um, I, I'm just always, I have all, all of this different stuff going, but something that breaks my heart when people start out in this, in this world, they're like, oh, well, I've heard that there's, you know, people that get tens of thousands of dollars to share their stories. And I said, well, everyone's got to start somewhere. Right. But also, you come to this comparing yourself to other speakers mm-hmm. or other accomplishments. Um, when you do that, you're setting yourself up for failure yeah. because everyone is different um, yeah. and things aren't always what they seem. So you really have to come to this profession with that authenticity that's only going to come from internally. Otherwise, not only are audiences going to sense that, but you are are going to feel so disappointed time and time again. So I've, I never could have dreamed that my book would touch the lives that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always, they're always just, you know, really awesome, happy surprises. But I never went into this saying, I'm going to, I want to be famous. Right. I want to be this or that, because that's, that's not really, how it works for most people <laughs> so true so true I, I think it's really about what enjoying the journey if it, if it feels right and it's in alignment with where you want to go in life go with that i think the biggest happiness that i've learned it doesn't come in the form of 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 some type of trophy right i i, I never i never truly cared about the actual physical um material of winning something I, I cared about that journey of actually doing it. Like it was, it was nothing. It was something so incredible about winning, but not worrying about getting on the podium, right? Right. Doing doing what you um, what I'm saying is doing what you love is is more important than the result that totally. you get from it to a degree. And if you're yeah, if you're the kind of person that can genuinely say to yourself. 
I am satisfied sharing, whether it's three people or 30,000 people, yeah. that's the kind of attitude you need to walk in um, to, to really be successful and, and redefine what that success is going to look like um, and have those attainable goals because not everyone is this overnight success. People will look at me and say, oh, well, look at that. I said, I, I kind of started this you know, but when I was seven, <laughs> 14 was my first speech and I'm 35 now. So, yeah. you know, this has been a really long time. Word of mouth has been really popular. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm well known and kind of a specific little niche. Um, but I am constantly learning and constantly mm. growing. I, Y'all, I called it Snapagram the other day. That's how just <laughs> it's painful. That's the new app, media, huh? <laughs> oh, like social media and technology is not my strength. So that's yeah. been a challenge that I've experienced as a speaker and professional. Um, and so everyone, whether you've been in this business five minutes or 50 years, there's always something to learn, always a way to be inspiring and be inspired. And again, this is a great opportunity for, for folks to get involved in this field through your offerings. Yeah, yeah, so true. So, you know, before we go, Ashley, where can the Thrive Tribe find you, stay connected with you? you? Got some things going on, new books coming out. I don't know what's going on. Well, not on Snapagram because that's not a thing. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Cool. So I'm a real life person. Um, my, uh, let's see, I'm in my office desk, so I, I keep books. So this is a, this is my first book, and yeah. this is what my second book looks like. They're available wherever books are sold, and I can be reached at roads-quarter.com or uh, my handle for most social media is at roadsquarter, all one word. Hey, what's up, Trap? I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did. Leave a review because more people just like you who are looking to find a voice, develop the message and get consistently paid speaking gigs. They're out there and your voice. It matters. Your review. It matters. So I just want to thank you in advance for doing us a favor so that we can reach more people and impact people's lives. I'll catch you on the next episode. Peace.